Welcome everybody to another round of Stinkweed. Where we review, talk about, read, discuss, and produce, on some occasion, bad fantasy. We're joined here with, well, obviously me, I'm John, and Laura. Hi. And we're also joined by my wonderful wife, Becca. Hello. So, Laura. Yeah. Becca. Mm. Us. We, we love R.A. Salvatore, don't we? I do. I keep a picture of him under my pillow, <laughs> and, I, and, I ki- and I kiss it before I go to bed every night. I don't know what he looks like. <laughs> oh, he looks nothing like you would expect. He also has a really thick Brooklyn accent. I also Ooh, didn't really? expect that. Okay, yeah. now we're we're Googling R.A. Salvatore <laughs> to see what he looks like. I hope he yes. doesn't look like Bernie Sanders, because that's who I have on my No, he does right he looks now. nothing like Bernie Sanders. Okay. He really? Oh. Huh. <laughs> he, he reminds me of Dave Barry, actually. He kind of does. He does have that Dave Barry appearance. He's like if Dave Barry were attempting to cosplay as the Jolly Green Giant. <laughs> that's what? basically what I'm getting here. Well, that's just mean. No, no, he's a Jolly Green Giant has a great physique. I just he he's yeah he's not quite what I expected. Yeah, he looks kind of like an an honest farmer. From one of his own books. Yeah. <laughs> you should hear him talk sometimes, like, doing an interview. And I'm not mocking him in any way. It's just, it's really jarring to, like, you know, after reading his books and seeing all these, all this jargon that he's come up with, to hear him talking about it in just this really thick and off-putting accent. He sounds like a cab driver. So, we've all read some portion of... I think was this was the Crystal Shard R.A. Salvatore's debut novel or it, his Darby Darby? <laughs> uh, actually, I believe it was his debut novel, at least for what was it TRC or whichever company that was. Uh, TSR. TSR, that one. That I, it was at least the first one he ever wrote for that company. I do think it was his first ever though. So mm-hmm. published in 1988. My goodness, wow. I I looked at it. Because oh. it was right in front of me. Yeah, it's it's mm-hmm. it's freshest, I think, in your mind, Becca. <laughs> yes, it's yes, it is. Uh, I my first book that of his that I ever read was the Homecoming trilogy, which was all about Driss Doerden's origin story, and it was back in high school, and it was, I actually thought it was pretty okay. It was pretty good, and then I read Crystal Shard, and it was like, oh my gosh, how did he ever come back from this? <laughs> You have to give some leeway to debut authors because it is their first book and you can't expect it to be amazingly perfect. But, you know, there are a lot of debut books that still manage to be really good. Sure, Harper Lee. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. That was her only, well, apart from Go Set a Watchman, but that was a different one. Much later in life, but yeah. So, I mean, a debut novel can be awesome. But anyway, so Becca, since this is the freshest in your mind and you're still reading this, right? (laughs) Mm Mm-hmm. Yep, I'm halfway through. So tell me, this is a really good book, huh? Mm, I wouldn't use those words to describe it. It's very <laughs> diplomatic. So it it isn't the first Ari Salvatore novel I've read. I think I started with the Homecoming uh, trilogy first, but I only read one of them years and years and years ago. And I think I read one in the Icewind Dale 
trilogy. Yes, Crystal Shard. It is. I mean, it's it's it is for TSR, and it's very much you know you have the D and D setting, and you're kind of stuck into a corner because you have like dwarves. Okay, so the dwarves are according to Gary Gygax dwarves, and the drow are Gary Gygax drow, and um, I mean, this is a very very personal me becca biased is is i think when you do novels in this setting it can it it can force you to do things with characters and with peoples that sometimes it doesn't really work for the story logically and it kind of makes the society silly Oh, can you give me an example? <laughs> well, um okay, so for the drow, they are all evil. All drow. All drow. It's it's in the monster manual. They are chaotic evil. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Except for Jitsta Erden and his father. And I I mean, I'd rather see variation in character. Like more variation. I, I guess I would find it intriguing to have more, more variation in the peoples of different races. Like all the barbarians are... Uh, Fight, fight, fight with passion and <laughs> blah, 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 bring, fetch the wenches. <laughs> Those wenches. <laughs> oh, man. Uh, <laughs> yes, but, but that is just me. I think you can do creative things with the setting in like this D&D thing. I, after getting halfway through Crystal Shard, I actually think that the Dragonlance series did it better. <laughs> I think it's better writing. I, I, okay, this is from someone who actually has only read, I've read the first two pages of Dragons of Autumn Twilight, (laughs) and I couldn't read anymore, and then I read the first book in the Time of the Twins series, which wasn't terrible, but anyway, that's another, that's another discussion altogether. I actually agree with Becca on this, because... In the terms of the of crystal of the crystal shard, and in all of you know this particular series written by R.A. Salvatore, it is very much operating on D and D rules that, without exception, all the creatures are evil. Although there are a couple of characters that do sort of are sort of muddled much, much, much later in R.A. Salvatore's writing, um, like the sky ponies. <laughs> what, what? Oh, sky ponies. <laughs> I, all right, that's just, this, okay, this is an R.A. Salvatore, this is a Salvatorism. He really likes the word pony. Like, he even has a character, a main character in another book he wrote, whose name, whose full name, I think, is Gilsephany, and her nickname is Pony. Another discussion. He's way ahead of his time. <laughs> anyway, but, um... Yeah, in the, it was, even within his later writing, where things were a little bit more complicated, uh, there were... The world was still operating on D and D logic. So, for example, Drizzt faces off against a bu- against a bunch of uh, gnolls, which are like these wolf, dog, giant creatures, and it, like he's going to fight them. And you're like, why is he fighting them? And like, they killed these people. Why did they kill these people? Eh, they're evil, I guess. Because <laughs> they are bad. I'm just remembering that scene from Dudley Do Right, where it's like, I can't help it. I'm evil. It's just yeah. 
Because they're just evil what? guys. Now that's going back away. Uh, I'm, uh, I... That was Brandon Fraser, right? Yeah, Brandon Fraser and Eric Idle. And Alfred Aww. Molina. I remember this. Alfred Molina. Alfred Molina. Yeah, he played Snidely Whiplash and he was fabulous. Oh. <laughs> oh, as I recall... He was fabulous. He was so fab. <laughs> he was the best part of that movie. That, I, I remember being very tickled by virtually everything that man said. Yeah. Because I think he was improvising half his lines. I think. He's like walking by, reading off the license plates. He's like, Oregon, Washington, Puerto Rico. Do you like how I said Puerto Rico? I studied Spanish in high school. Like, I think he's improvising these lines. I wouldn't be surprised. He is just, uh, he is a treasure especially in that movie. Now, this is an example of many of the sort of things we see in bad fantasy, where not only are there not really female characters, but there's, I see Becca's eyes have widened. There's Caddy Bry, Caddy Bree. How do you pronounce her name? Uh, Caddy Bear. I always... <laughs> Katia Bear. <laughs> I, I always said Caddy Bree, but I also didn't know how to say macabre for like <laughs> 10,000 years. I thought it was macabre. Me, oh, no. so... I so who knows? I thought it was macabre <laughs> until I was 21 <laughs> years old, so you're not alone. It's like Run like the wind, Bart. <laughs> it's wind, Ma. Run like the wind, I've only Bart. seen it written. <laughs> yes, the, the women in Crystal Shard. Um, uh, you mean the wenches. Oh, yes, the in wenches. Crystal Shard. Yes. So I am... Uh, I, I'm not saying at all that Ari Salvatore is misogynist or sexist no, 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 or anything no. like that. Um, however, this book definitely, thus far, halfway through, uh, only the first one, it definitely falls into the boys club mm. of fantasy, which is like a lot of them. Yeah. And yeah, and the women in it... Okay, so you get one woman who talks, which is Scatty Bree. Mm-hmm. And besides that, all the other references are wenches. <laughs> uh, there's a harem girl. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. then you have women folk lumped in with children. Constantly. Constantly. And and that's it. Yeah. <laughs> that is literally it. You know, I'm when as I remember his writing style, it's like I don't think he, he I mean, most people obviously are not intentionally sexist or misogynist. And in, no. in this case, I don't think he meant for it to come off that way. This was the eighties with fantasy mm-hmm. and that was the era of you know sword and sandal conan the barbarian <laughs> that's oh that glorious genre so red sonia was there i guess but no <laughs> mm. <laughs> we all know why everybody remembers her anyway but yeah in this case katy brie or whatever her name Katibra. is she doesn't really feature much in the book except as a spunky, oh, I can do the same thing as boys do character, except she doesn't. And she's also mostly a, <laughs> an object of romantic affection for the first, like, I don't know, a few books. She's... Oh, yeah. And that's the purpose she serves for, like, most of the first part of the series. And then she actually does get an interesting character arc later. And to be fair, now, I, I think the kindest way to look at this is probably also the most realistic, where this is D&D, mm-hmm. which at that time, and still kind of to today, <laughs> was a lot more like, you know, the, the outcast guys, the nerdy guys who played it. And I think a lot of us grew up with Tolkien. Let's see, our female characters were Eowyn. Um, Arwen was technically in the story, but in the book, she really doesn't play much of a role. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, Galadriel. Galadriel, the like 
elf goddess. Um, the, the gal who works in the house of healing at the end of Return of the King. Yeah. Shelob is technically female. <laughs> yeah, she technically is female. I mean, I don't know how you would tell. Like, anatomically, I'm not sure how that works with spiders, and I don't want to know. That's like one of those things that if I ever found out, I would probably, like like lobotomize myself to forget <laughs> but it's a, it's just it's a spider that's all you need to know just a giant yeah. freaking spider do you really and it's right there in the name yeah exactly so tolkien was a product of his time and sure mm-hmm. you know most of the histories and the epics that he studied featured male heroes very male centric and So I think that that could be maybe forgiven, that that's kind of just a cultural default of this group. It's not an excuse. It's not saying, you know, oh, this completely makes it okay. But it's like, you mean, it... You understand. He he probably wasn't even thinking about it. (laughs) Right. So... Although, so that romance, Becca... That romance? That romance. Caddy Bray, or Caddy Bree, Bra, Bray, Bray. So how how does he refer to her again? Um, so well, okay. So so the first time she's referred to is oh, Jester Erden. He's talking to his friend, the dwarf Bruinor, and um, where Bruinor is kind of standoffish, not showing a lot of affection for the people he knows, even though he really does care for them. And he's like, oh, but what about the your a gal that you adopted from that place, Caddy Free. Spot on Drew Stewart in there. <laughs> oh yes, that's exactly <laughs> what he sounds like. <laughs> anyway, uh, and Bruinor to you know not show that he cares. It's like ah, oh, she's but a serving wench. <laughs> and there, <laughs> and there is a great passage. I don't know if I can find it again where. Uh, Wolfgar, who is another person that Brenner, I mean, he calls it adopting, Brenner calls it adopting him, but really, Wolfgar is an indentured servant. Yeah. <laughs> yes. <laughs> and it's a very weird dynamic, I, I thought. But that's just me. So this is Wolfgar uh, looking at Caddy Bree. Um, yes, I quote, Wolfgar marveled at her graceful movements, like the polarity of her curious emotional blend. <laughs> Caddy Bree also proved an enigma physically. She was tall and slender, delicate by all appearances, but growing into womanhood in the caverns of the dwarves, she was accustomed to hard and heavy work. I guess the difference between where you have the juxtaposition of Tolkien and his ilk... I don't know, usually ilk is a negative word. And, like, the writing here is that Tolkien, though he didn't have women in at least Lord of the Rings a lot, I mean, they do feature much more in Silmarillion, is that in the writing it respects women, but in this writing it is constantly derogatory. Which, okay, maybe you have a society that looks down on women, but like there's nothing to balance it out or show that they're more than just the love interest or the wenches. That's kind of like the two things, love interest or wench. Honestly, even with her kind of character 
Ezra arc later, she still kind of exists in terms of her relationships to the male characters, mm-hmm. and less as her own, you know, independent person. <laughs> Just because they can have super powerful weapons or skills, if they're if they're shown to be nothing more than a sex object, then you have failed. What does a woman know of honor? (laughs) (laughs) And even... Quote from the book, by the way. And even more interesting, her her weapon of choice, from what I can remember, is the bow, which is typically given to female characters in fantasy. For some reason. I mean, I think the idea is like, oh, you know, it's the the weaker weapon or whatever. But it's not. Do you know how much arm strength it takes to draw a bow? Especially one that does the things that she does with her bow. That girl's got, like, mad guns. Like, (laughs) She's got a... Like, if you are not using a really easy composite bow with levers and pulleys and all that, it takes an immense amount of strength to draw that string back. A long bow, even more so, you you have to be extremely muscular to do that. And it's hard enough, like, even with a composite bow, it's still really hard. I've taken an archery class, so I know everything about it, obviously, but... uh, (laughs) No more than I do. But, like, with a compound bow, with, like, the pulleys and stuff, it's actually still really hard to pull it back, and it's, you're shaking the entire time because you're convinced you're gonna accidentally let the string go before you need to, and I did that many times i accidentally shot the ground (laughs) once and it left a freaking hole and it was like so it takes incredible strength to actually draw a bow especially one that she uses so i guess the thought is like oh women shouldn't be in the middle of combat that's too violent they should be seen from a distance but But they should be bench pressers (laughs) so that they can do in a way it would be flattering that you always give the women the bow which requires such immense upper body strength if it didn't reek of a bit of condescension. Yeah, and if they could be, like, portrayed as more, um, Gwendolyn Christie. Yeah. Uh, more like that, and like, wah, rather than she was lithe and slim and coming into womanhood. <laughs> and, lith? like, lith? Is it live? I don't know. Macabre. I have no idea. <laughs> Leave? Is it we leave? don't know how to say know. words. Wind. <laughs> yes, it basically not Becca size. <laughs> Becca is small for those who are not watching her right here. Yeah. This is probably typical a lot of the bad fantasy that we'll ever go over, including my very own Adzel series. I am hardly, as you've already heard, <laughs> immune to all of this yeah, as actually, 12-year-old I, me. I want you to write a page where you describe Sonadred in the same way that uh, Cadibri is described in <laughs> this book. Like, he was in... His... <laughs> He, he was his body wasn't an enigma <laughs> the contrast of the soft edges and the plumpness of his middle which was slightly less than the plumpness of his middle a week ago for the intensity of his training and the sharpness of his wit and you could see just barely the beginning of abs as he began <laughs> he was coming into the full bloom of his manhood The barest hint of abs began to peek through the soft clouds of his middle. (laughs) 
the mauve shadows gentle in the, anyway. This could go on and that would be amazing. As bad as that is, I don't know that it's worse than my new favorite thing, which is medieval historical harlequin romances oh i oh yes those do exist they're even better than the um napoleonic era medieval harlequin romances they're not fantasy but they really are they're just not magical fantasy and they suffer from a lot of the same things that bad fantasy suffers from like people attempting to write in this ancient sounding dialect and using what in their minds is medieval antiquated speech. And it's really not. So I happen to have one of these books open right here. <clears throat> she was infinitely aware of Sir Gerard's dark eyes fixed on her and it was all Aislin could do to meet them. As he said, you have my thanks, Lady Aislin. I will not allow myself to impose upon your usual routine again. I know how the young need their rest. She felt the chagrin that flashed from her own eyes to his. Then quickly she forced her gaze to fall, bowing and making a hasty exit. Was the man mad? And what was wrong with her father to have treated her child like <coughs> to have treated her like a child before the other man, needing her rest indeed? She was a woman, some nineteen years of age. Oh, spinster, positively. <laughs> <laughs> and I, two things. One, I think it's Ashley. That's how it's pronounced. Not Aislinn? Not Aislinn, it's Ashley. I fa I'm fairly certain it's pronounced Ashley. Yeah, it's Irish. Oh. <laughs> also, how old is this guy? Sir Gerard? Yes, I'm just curious. I don't know. Because he sounds like, <laughs> from the way she's describing him, it sounds like he's like, 40. Well, to judge from the cover, somehow this man got conditioner <laughs> and his hair is swept back in a very 1980s style and he's holding a bared sword and staring off kind of like dully into the distance while Ashley, I guess, has one manicured hand on his shoulder and is also staring off into the distance. Yeah, he kind of looks like he's contemplating which sandwich he's going to order at the sandwich shop. And he just happens to have his sword out. Mm -hmm. Oh, wait, I was wrong. It's Ashlyn. I was sort of right. Ah, okay. That makes more okay. sense, Aislinn. Still, <laughs> that's, by the way, Dragon's Night. Definitely something you should look up. These books really like to make puns on night versus night. Uh, you know? Yeah. They, they really like those. Anyway, as bad as R.A. Salvatore's initial foray was, at least it's not medieval Harlequin romance. Yes, and, well. and I I will finish Crystal Shard and I, I will read the rest of the Icewind Dale trilogy and report back on what happens in the next books, how the writing transforms, are there more wenches? <laughs> <laughs> the answer, Becca, there are always more wenches. And oh, no. Do the sky ponies indeed appear? <laughs> I am so excited for sky ponies. Um, are we ready for some more ads, though? I suppose we are. Our heroes have devised a brilliant plan to defend their village, Narthazone? against the oncoming threat of Kithris and the strange not-orcs that he employs. Having narrowly escaped 
an encounter with them in the forest and being saved by a selfless deer who literally threw himself in the way of an arrow that was aimed at Sonodrid. And jumping across the river and being asked if he was working out, Sonodrid devised a brilliant plan, which was to cut down all of the trees and light their fields on fire using ale to make them more flammable. We left off as they were preparing for this battle. All right there, Sonadrid, came a voice from behind him. He started with surprise and spun to face Swag, mirth clearly visible on his face from Sonadrid's leap of fright. Yes, fine, thank you, Sonadrid said, breathing heavily. Swag grinned. I'll tell you, lad, he said, and Sonadred rolled his eyes. Whenever Swag Swag <laughs> Swag <laughs> told any lads anything, it nearly always became a speech. Sure enough, he continued in a meaningful tone. This battle will be right up your alley. It's just like the old stories. A group of valiant knights defending their keep against a traitor. Valiant knights? Sonadred asked, grinning. About a five-score band of farmers and villagers. Very reassuring. Thank you, Meldon. We're all gonna die. <laughs> <laughs> this is hilarious. <laughs> this, uh-huh. 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 No, actually. Almost every man here that wasn't born here is a knight. What? What? No, actually. Most every man here that wasn't born <laughs> here is a knight. <laughs> uh, okay. okay. Let's, uh, English major, let's diagram the sentence. Okay. Of the men who weren't born here, who are here, most every one of them is a knight. Okay. That was almost like a poem right there. <laughs> or like one of those word riddles that someone, like the Sphinx tells you to How throw you How many off. of them are knights? <laughs> no, actually, most every man here that wasn't born here is a knight, Swag said, a matter-of-fact tone audible in his voice. That's, that's even more Good. convoluted than she said matter-of-factly. <laughs> And that's about half the men here. After the War of the Nations, yes. capitalized, a group of Gonthulian knights <laughs> called the Robesmen decided to settle here in Narthasel at a hamlet they had been sent to recapture for Gotham. <laughs> They were called the Rosa because they always wore dark cloaks over their armor, letting them become stained and roadworn, so they appeared to be most weary travelers until they had their weapons pointed at you and their hoods back. Ah, oh, yes. <laughs> I was one of them. I was a bandit. You were highway uh, Your father... <laughs> your father was the leader. <laughs> we managed to avoid the worst of the war by staying in Lindala, convincing all the common folk of the nearest villagers and hamlets to rebel, and cutting off supply routes to the mainland Dalin castles. We had our blades cast to one of the villages where a master smithy named Jerham Eritane was overstocked with the metal of a nearby meteor <laughs> and called them our rockets. And Kithris seemed particularly keen on getting that unnatural metal for his sword. Aye, Kithris was numbered among us. But back then, he was a good man. Oh. He became bitter over the years after his wife and children all died. I didn't know he had kids. What? what? Did they die in the river too? <laughs> Everyone die in that river? Okay. Anyway, he became bitter over the years after his wife and children all died. And his rivals seemed to be off so well. He paused and Sonadred listened intently. 
Kithris did something to his sword, kept it hidden away, and never used it. Some said he was casting spells on it. Others said... Well, never mind what others said. Look it up. No, wait, look up. I'm sorry. (laughs) (laughs) Anyway, Um, this paragraph isn't over yet. (laughs) The torches were quite visible now. The enemy could not be any less than 20 yards. It was then that they heard the dried branches snap under hundreds of armored feet. Several men had lit their first arrows already and were preparing to fire, but Sonadred bade they hold for a moment or two longer. Sonadred gave a nervous whimper that he prayed was inaudible. (laughs) What? (laughs) And Swag left to his post. The footfalls were coming faster. A full minute passed, and then every man nearly dropped their bows when Sonadred cried, FIRE! tearing through the silence. Many panicking men fumbled with their bows, but managed to light their arrows and fire- Wait, their arrows weren't lit- Okay, whatever. (laughs) Managed to light their arrows and fire them. Why would you draw them if they weren't- Okay. More or less in the general direction of the torches and their shrouded bears. Generally, so, not in that direction, but in the general direction. <laughs> Somewhere around there. So only 20 yards? <laughs> and a full minute passed? And they weren't there yet? If only Swag hadn't been giving his encyclopedia <laughs> entry about the ropes, then they could have seen them coming sooner. <laughs> Kithris, who was doing... Oh, never mind what he was doing. Um, what... Was he doing with his sword? I don't think we're we should ever find out. There came a shriek like a blade drawn across glass, and it seemed time stood still, stopping suddenly like a bursting heart between the ticks of the clock. <laughs> then the earth erupted in flame, searing through the grass and ale. <laughs> the flames roared up well over fifty feet high, spreading like lava on rock. The roar of the fires were enough to drown out the bestial shrieks of the creatures, now nothing more than writhing shadows among the glow. And a stench like burning meat reached the village. A cheer rose above the din from the walls, men and women alike raising their voices in a collective confident cry. Yay! <laughs> I love the mental image. Like, the arrows fly, it falls in. <laughs> Flash powder ale that they had? Yes. Um, okay. Yes. 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 New invention. Let's see him charge through that. Swag shouted to be heard over the din to Sonadred. Excellent work, laddie. But all that ale, tis true, no war is without sacrifice. <clears throat> That's the only alcoholic drink in this place. That is. Ale. <laughs> ale, and the only occupation for women is wench. <laughs> or Sonadred's mom. Ale. That's the only other, is Sonadred's mom. Well, and you have to... That's got to be like a tough job market where you're like, everyone's going to want to be Sonadred's mom because <laughs> at least she doesn't have to do anything. Whereas the wenches have to work like 24 hours yeah. serving ale. <laughs> he chuckled, knowing that no one could hear him but himself. Okay. <laughs> but he paused as well. There was something in Sonadred's eye that sent a chill down his spine despite the blazing <laughs> heat in front of them. The smoke blotted out the moon entirely, a mantle drawn across the sky. But the light from the fire was more than enough illumination for the soldiers to fire more unnecessary arrows. (laughs) (laughs) As though there were not dying creatures before him or hundreds of people depending on him behind him, a grin began to break out on Sonadred's face, much more thin than Swag remembered it ever being. It's not over, 
Sanajid said in a quiet voice that should have been lost in the sounds of battle around him, but everybody heard it. <laughs> yeah, naturally. The, the hardest part has yet to come. As these strongly, strangely audible words left his lips, the flame parted from the river to the village, wide enough for five large men <laughs> to walk through abreast. <laughs> so like, Sanajid, pre or post training? <laughs> like, is it- is it why, have, why not just six average size guys? Why six large? <laughs> <laughs> five large men. Yeah. Seven seven skinny ones. I don't know. <laughs> and eight and a half <laughs> children. This is this is like a math problem. How many men can walk abreast <laughs> through the gap from the river to the village? <laughs> Standing directly in the path was a tall man. Standing straight with a regal posture, his elbow length hair flowing behind him untouched by the scene of carnage on either side of him. He wore sparse armor, but himself about himself, a partial breastplate and iron leggings, plates covering his shoulders, and black velvet was draped around his shoulders, flowing behind him as he walked slowly to the wooden wall, and as he walked, Swag could swear he heard the theme dun 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 and I will confess 110% I was absolutely trying to channel Sephiroth here. I knew it! I knew it! No, no, 100%. I had been playing Final Fantasy VII when I was writing this. This is a true story. Complete transparency here. Kithris! Swag cried from the battalion. You dare return! He turned to the archers by him and ordered them to kill him. Each arrow fired found its mark, and in moments, Kithris was bristling with arrow shafts through the envelope of <laughs> Fletch. However, none saw the smile on his face. He took another step, and there was a sharp intake of breath. The wood of the shafts <gasps> splintered and fell to the charred and barren earth through revealing Kithris without so much a dent in his breastplate with one gauntleted hand he gestured at the wall with an open hand and clenched it suddenly (laughs) into a fist and pointing it toward the ground the thick nails and wedges holding together the wall and did themselves and left the wood to fall to the ground men falling with it dust filled the air mixed with smoke and ash and through the fray Sondred was vaguely visible standing proudly with a long jagged sword in his hand (laughs) for the first time in a thousand years Eh? oh boy are we gonna get more exposition for the first time in a thousand years kithris felt numbness in the middle of his forehead and he began to feel cold despite the flames licking his mantle and he recalled groggily that the emotion was called dread sonadred had drawn the sword Staring at the blade he himself had supplied his opponent with, he saw the great and obvious flaw in his plan and felt like quite the idiot. (laughs) Another emotion he was rather unfamiliar with. I'm sure. To the thousand years. (laughs) Drawing upon his own powers, he knew already the outcome. But the more he thought this, the more he began to realize that he could still redeem himself of his mistake. Okay. <laughs> yep. yep. Sonadred stood quickly the instant he hit the ground <laughs> and nearly oh. fell back over again. <laughs> what? Huh? What? Let's re- it's read further. Maybe you'll actually explain. I don't have... 
much faith in you, but we'll see. Nope. Okay. <laughs> Feeling a sharp stabbing pain in his shin, he knew his leg was broken. He ro- he might have had shin splints, but he pro- his oh. leg was probably broken. Probably. The ruin of the wall they had spent so long fortifying lay sprawled around him, and there were bodies littering the earth, some conscious and alive, others not breathing. <laughs> okay. Okay. Uh, <laughs> an occasional man would be would still be alive and alert, but fled in panic as soon as he came to. Sonadred would have done the same had he any mobility in him at all. There was a footfall behind him, and he turned quickly, again nearly toppling himself, to see the silhouette of Kithris against the flame. Adrenaline rushed through his veins, and panic gripped his mind. Hands a-shaken, he reached for his sword belt not feeling at all like the hero he had tried to be when planning the battle. Nothing in warfare went as planned, and he felt like a fool for having thought this battle would be an exception. As his quivering hand reached the leather-wrapped hilt of his sword, he gripped it until his fingers turned white and gave it a sharp jerk. To his shock and amazement, (laughs) it left the leather sheath freely, though a shin shin thawed, a A shin shard, of My the blade had broken, of <laughs> had broken off and fell to the earth, leaving the weapon completely unbalanced, not to mention the fact that it was already uselessly dull. Still in a panic, he found a stone and scraped the blade along it rapidly in a desperate attempt to sharpen it, With then brought it level to his face until his chin was framed by the crossguard, saluting Kithris. So just a random stone? <laughs> I'm so confused right now. I um um. So did was he too? Was he facing off against Kithris a second ago, and then he just like collapsed? I, I maybe it was like so we went back in time about yeah. thirty seconds. I think that's it. I think I think we had a time loss there, and now we're at the scene we just ended at before the asterisks. <laughs> and and so. Kithris didn't see him frantically trying to sharpen his sword. <laughs> nope. Which is one of oh. the most hilarious sights I think I'd ever see on the <laughs> Or him, like, nearly tumbling, like, three times. <laughs> I, oh, yes. I dread this person who collapsed at least six times. I feel quite the idiot. <laughs> <laughs> I should never have given him that sword. <laughs> oh, sharpen it quickly. Now I'm going to salute him. Kithris himself hesitated for a moment and then drew a sword of his own, of kingly stature and craftsmanship, from an elaborate black sheath on his back. He gripped it with both hands and reared back for a charge. Why he chose such an open stance and used such predictable form, Sondredred could only guess, at least until Kithris truly did charge. Sondredred brought his blade up parallel to the ground with a stiff and straight arm, a classic countercharge. Is it though? <laughs> <laughs> Unfortunately, Kithris had an unsettling amount of experience <laughs> in the art of sword fighting. It's <laughs> And batted Sonadred's blade away easily, knocking out of his weakened hands. At this, Sonadred lost all control. <laughs> <laughs> oh dear. Oh, Keep it no. together, Sonadred. <laughs> oh no. Oh. So he felt a stirring. Oh no. <laughs> <laughs> He's, oh, not now. Not now. He couldn't help himself. He just had to kiss him. (laughs) He lost all control. (laughs) It it was the long flowing hair. The long flowing hair. hair. (laughs) He nearly tumbled into his arms a third time. (laughs) 
he frantically <laughs> sharpened the sword again on the ground. See, I would be way more interested in this story, actually, than it would be. I am more interested in that story. <laughs> it would be quite quite the fun one. <laughs> but yes, yeah, he so lost all control lost of himself. Control. Uh, his veins corded and his what? eyes rolled into the back of his head. <laughs> Muscles he wasn't aware of bulging <laughs> as though overstretched, and he let out a feral <laughs> shriek as he hurled himself <laughs> at Kithris. <laughs> 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 Kiss. So I, I want to note the spelling of the word corded here. It's not C-O-R-D, which would indicate, you know, like ropes. Oh, that's right. It's, it's C-H-O-R-D. Like musical chords. It's like a musical chord. It corded. Oh, no. Um, so this mental image is amazing. Sword flies out of his hands, his eyes roll in the back of his head, and he like suddenly goes like Hulk and like leaps on him. And his muscles are singing the entire time. <laughs> I, I, that's that might be actually better than him trying to kiss him. Is it though? I I, I can't I can't say for a certainty, but I am not at all disappointed with how this scene turned out. <laughs> Oh boy. I think it's it's the best scene so far. It is. Opinion. It Apart is the best this, scene. I, although, I mean, the scene where he puts up the map he scribbled all over into his wall with rusty carving knives is fun too, but this one definitely is... This one is buck cover worthy right here. <laughs> this this would be... This would be the buck cover. <laughs> Mid hurl, <laughs> you see like the motion blur. <laughs> His arms like flailing behind him as he like goes chest first. His eyes rolled in the back of his head. Like <laughs> his veins all corded. <laughs> and, and it would be the Adzel series and like that like cheesy eighties font. And under it, the tagline: Sonadrid felt a stirring. <laughs> <sighs> Kithris breathed for the first time in hours, it seemed to him, when the sword left Sonadred's hand. The ancient Barrowrot blade? Wasn't it from a meteor a second ago? John, with everything that's happened in this story, <laughs> is that really your biggest nitpick here? You know... I suppose it is splitting hairs, and I think that's the last thing I want to have Kithris do. So, oh, the barrow rot blade would do no harm to his undead flesh this eve, so he's undead. Plot twist! That's new. Of course, he wasn't entirely surprised when Sonadred went mad in panic. The instinct for survival was too strong in him. <laughs> 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 That's definitely what animals do when they're cornered. Yes. That's that's the survival instinct at its finest. It's much more similar to how I reacted to the the pizza at Target. Beck <laughs> <laughs> is pregnant at the moment and um we saw this pizza at Target, and Becca's eyes went wide, and she, well, 
you couldn't think of anything else. <laughs> See, my, I dropped my sword that I was carrying for some reason, and and all my veins corded, and my eyes rolled in the back of my head, <laughs> I threw myself at the I, I turned, and you were actually airborne in that instant, plunging chest first through the display. Shrieking the whole time. <laughs> the feral animal shriek, face planting into that pizza. <clears throat> it was That's... really good. The instinct for survival was too strong in him, and he would stop at nothing to prevent his own death. What surprised him was that as Sonodred collided with him, he felt the vengeance of his master's spirit inside the boy. Shocked he was! Enough so that he stumbled backward, but before he could think to stand again, before even he had hit the ground, he felt an inexplicable pain in his spine. Letting out a cry, for the first time in many centuries, his eyes darted to his chest to see the shard of a sword jutting through his breastplate as it passed through him from behind. Though no weapon but the one now lying on the ground ten yards away could do Kithris any real harm, all began to go black and blurry. All sound began to echo and die. The darkness at the corners of his vision crept swiftly to the center, where it dominated and he saw no more. The sounds of the fire carnage and havoc, the fire carnage and havoc around him began to fade, flanging themselves in his head and playing themselves over and over like a minstrel practicing on her lute. Oh my goodness! I, I used I used a female pronoun as the default! Oh my gosh! Another female character! Wait. Well, no, but. <laughs> but I didn't default to male one time. That is impressive. Good job. Good. Practicing get... on her loot. I'm gonna give you a trophy for that. Good job, John. Thank Good you. job, 12 year old John. Thank John. you. <laughs> Thank you. That's. I feel like I've definitely earned this trophy. Each time growing softer until he could hear no more than he could see. He is dead. He has expired. He is no longer of this earth. How many more words do we need to describe this? This is an ex Kithris. <laughs> Among the ruin and smoldering remains of cottages rose a black smoke that grayed the sky, choking it clean of the crows and ravens that would normally have been preying on the corpses splayed about what was left of the village. Not vultures, though. They don't exist. We don't have vultures. A few men and women were standing, slowly and mournfully burying the dead and aiding the wounded. Hey, the women are actually doing something. Great. Hey. You're really progressing, John. I've had thus far, I think, four references to women. Yes. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Great job. It's Wait, nice. where's, Dots? where's Sonadred's mom? <laughs> uh, uh, I, I hope you have an explanation. I'm going to trust uh, that you have it. I, you've done nothing. You've always delivered so far here in uh, this text. So, you know, uh, I'm going to trust that she'll come back into the stories at some point. Like uh, like General Leia in Star Wars. <laughs> well, I can make no promises. <laughs> Running between the tents was Melton. Better known as Swag among the men. <laughs> Just in case you forgot. What? Why? <laughs> People are going to forget that his name was Melton, informing every everyone he met that they were to meet at what was left of the village square by sunset. And to Not have, capitalized this time. 
Yes, good job. Like you're really get, you're getting better. I can see the improvement here. So much and better. And to have with them all their belongings packed and ready to go. So it was. So it was that as the sun sank in the blood red western sky, there was a mass of dirty, tired farmers, their wives and their children. Where are the knights? No, no knights oh. anymore. Okay, David. and all right. Yeah. Right. That's that makes sense. Okay. Mm-hmm. My friends, Swag called as he entered the square, have hauling his massive <laughs> self onto what? a low, makeshift stage with no amount of ease or grace. <laughs> <laughs> That's so mean. <laughs> what is the matter with you? John, the man- taking away the gold star. <laughs> the man's just been through a battle. Why are you mocking him like this? <laughs> oh no! I fat shamed him so much. I fat shamed everybody. <laughs> Why am I not shaming everyone? <laughs> not only are you, you don't have enough female characters, you also are a body shamer. Oh my gosh. Oh no. Well, <laughs> we'll carry Sorry. on. <laughs> Sorry, continue. Uh, let's see, Grace. Ah, oh, yes. We have suffered a terrible loss last night. The known leader of our enemy was, as you know, our very own Kithris. The name was met with much booing and hissing. Swag nodded and waved them to silence, his head held solemnly. I Okay, I don't know about you, but I wouldn't be booing and hissing. I'd be, like, bursting into tears and panicked sobs if I... <laughs> after what he did to my town... <laughs> Well, after what they did to their own town, I mean, think about this. <laughs> yes, setting everything on fire. <laughs> they should have known better than to take the highly flammable substance of <laughs> ale and spread it everywhere and uh, then light fire to it. Super effective. <laughs> Incredibly. I mean, <laughs> next time I go camping, I'll save money on expensive lighter fluid and I'll just grab a, a six pack. Here from, <clears throat> and I'll just throw that on my on my coals, <laughs> like light a match and just toss it, and wait for the fifty foot flames <laughs> to emerge. <clears throat> oh my gosh, I haven't gotten much better, have I? They should like they should ban beer from camping trips because there's always a risk they're gonna burn down the entire forest. You've watched Bambi, ale. <laughs> And that's because all the animals were drinking. They should have... PSA on public drunkenness. So. But he was slain by none other than our recently missing friend, Sonodrid. The statement was, however, met with surprise and no small amount of mourning. Many men bowed their heads in respect, as did the women. I don't know why I bothered separating them then. Like, why not everyone bowed their heads? 
They're separate species, John. You should know this right now. <laughs> they seem to be, like living in separate universes. Like, they're like they're like skyping this conversation, like all the women in one room and all the men in the other. The bestial creatures that we we massacred, Swag continued, followed by some muttering of approval. Muttering I love how I'm just giving a play by play of the audience's reaction. May not have been slain, I fear. The few men we could afford to send found trails and tracks that suggest the survivors have regrouped and will most likely plan to attack tonight while we are licking our wounds. <clears throat> then let us hunt them down and slay them, cried Maligent. 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 <laughs> One of the last surviving experienced soldiers, there was a roar of approval which Swag again waved to silence. Maligent, uh, as author... I am saying that it's spelled Maligant, but it's pronounced Raymond Luxury Yacht. <laughs> also, I think it's worth noting, I don't know if this has anything to do with the, with what you wrote here, but Maligant is the name of the villain from First Night, starring Sean Connery and Richard Gere. That was definitely what I was thinking of. I can almost <laughs> promise you. Because we had, I remember watching that as a kid. Yes. It's a terrible movie. Everyone should watch it. Everyone should. I love that scene where they're drinking water from leaves. It's so romantic. It's hot. It's super hot. It is so hot. That would be most impossible, Swag said with a note of regret in his voice. Mm. Honorable as our intentions and deadly as our (laughs) wrath would be in that (laughs) endeavor, we must come to grips with reality. We do not know the terrain was well as they do. (laughs) And they have a steep advantage in training and arsenal. They attacked us last night clad in iron while we were clad in leather. We would only suffer more deaths and make ourselves more vulnerable. No, we must escape with all haste and make for Dame Londala, the nearest castle. It is owned by a good knight in King Grodrim's service, and he will give us refuge until we have regained our strength in numbers and can retake our land. At these words, there was a silence. The sun had almost completely set, and its last crimson rays were bleeding in the sky. Finally, uh... Raymond Loveboat, the, the person, uh, spoke. How then will we reach Lendala before our pursuers overtake us? At this, Swag smiled. This is where the chapter ends. This is where the chapter ends, beginning chapter five? Seven? Seven. This is chapter seven. But we were just on chapter two. <laughs> hold on. Hold on. I'm looking to make sure. That the last chapter heading we got was two. I want to confirm this. It was two. The massacre of um, North. North. The massacre of Iron Man. (laughs) (laughs) I'm missing all the intervening chapters. Oh no! I am missing five chapters. Whole chapters. I don't know where to find them. It's still really bad. <laughs> yes, it is. I think. But I'm missing five chapters. Yes. Oh, I think what we should do now. <laughs> I think we need to write the ending. Yes, I, 
I think, and hear me out, I think it needs to be about the constant struggle and yes, and yet constant romantic tension between Kithris and Sonadred. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. <laughs> that and they and swag coming to love his body. <laughs> yes, precisely. And then <clears throat> the women finally liberate themselves from the clutches of sexism in Narthazel and <laughs> start their own Amazon colony. And they gather all their hair together and all the driftwood and they form one giant raft and they set out on the ocean to their own colony. It's called the Raft of Unity. Yes. Oh, the Unity Raft. And on that Unity Raft, we sail together, the three of us, to the end of this episode, bidding you all farewell.